DW Africa Link. You are listening to DW's Africa Link program that brings you the latest from Africa and the rest of the world. I'm Isaac Mugabe. And I am Josie Mahachi. We appreciate everybody who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent and on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Coming up, South African lawmakers voted in favor of closing down the Israeli embassy in Pretoria. In the case of Israel, it is their head of state whom we say needs to have an arrest warrant. And Germany's foreign minister Annalena Baerbock has said a ceasefire in the Edo East would prevent Israel from defending itself. You can't just fight terrorism militarily. The US president made that clear. Don't repeat the mistakes that we as Americans made after September 11. Stay with us till the end of But First the World News in brief. DW News. Hello, I'm Keith Walker. Israel's government has approved a hostage deal with Hamas. The militant group has agreed to release 50 women and children it's holding in Gaza during a four-day pause in fighting, while Israel releases scores of Palestinian women and children from its prisons. Israel has also offered to extend the ceasefire by one day for every 10 additional hostages released by Hamas. The pause in fighting is expected to begin on Thursday morning. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock joined world leaders in welcoming the agreement. Meanwhile, more humanitarian aid for Gaza has arrived at Egypt's Al Arish airport that's close to the blockaded Palestinian territory. A substantial increase in support getting into Gaza is expected if the proposed truce begins. Until now, Israel has limited aid to a trickle, leaving Gazans desperately short of food, water, medicine and fuel. Lawyers for Oscar Pistorius said on Wednesday they hope the South African Paralympian will be released immediately if granted parole. It's been 10 years since he killed his girlfriend in a crime that gripped the world. Pistorius shot dead Riva Steenkamp at his home in 2013, but he pleaded not guilty, saying he mistook her for a burglar. Offenders in South Africa are eligible for parole consideration after serving half of their sentences. In March, Oscar Pistorius had been wrongly ruled ineligible for early release, but he will appear before a parole board on Friday. AfricaLink News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. Chad is holding more than one million refugees. That's one of the largest and fastest growing refugee populations in Africa. The recent conflict in neighbouring Sudan has driven hundreds of thousands more into Chad. Despite humanitarian needs spiralling, resources available to respond are dwindling, leaving aid groups with few options. Pierre Honorat is from the World Food Programme. The Chadians, they have already shared whatever they could share. They can't share anymore. They even need assistance themselves. So now we need to assist all those 600,000 refugees that came, the returnees from Chad that were living there, but also now we also need to support the Chadians, the host population that are there, that are also suffering like all those Sudanese that have arrived. More than 30 people have been killed and dozens injured in a stampede in the Republic of Congo. The incident happened at a military recruitment event at a stadium in the capital, Brazzaville. 
Authorities have called for a day of mourning and are investigating what caused the stampede. Finally, Nigeria and Germany have agreed on a deal for Africa's largest oil producer to supply more gas to Germany. Nigerian President Bolo Tinubu says Germany will also invest $500 million in renewable energy projects. The first deliveries of LNG, liquefied national gas, are expected to leave Nigeria in 2026. And that's the latest. I'm Keith Walker. And you're listening to DW's African Program, live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. Once again, I'm Isaac Mugabe. And I am Josie Mahachi. Remember to comment on the stories that we are covering by going to our Facebook page, DW Africa. We are live there. Please kindly share the live stream with your loved ones. We also appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent. Many thanks, Josie, for that warm welcome to our listeners, wherever they may be. Let's kick off the show in South Africa, where President Cyril Ramaphosa has accused Israel of war crimes and acts a quote-unquote tantamount to genocide. His comments came at a virtual summit of the non-aligned BRICS group of nations. The country's parliament later voted to close its embassy in Tel Aviv and suspended diplomatic ties until a ceasefire is reached in Gaza. Now, the suspension will in place until Israel agrees to a ceasefire in the war in Gaza and the UN-led negotiations aimed at ending the Israeli-Palestine long-standing conflict. While many South Africans have come out in support of the decision, there are some who have opposed it. To Sokumalo, our correspondent reports from Johannesburg. The decision to suspend diplomatic ties between South Africa and Israel was triggered by a motion tabled in Parliament by the Economic Freedom Fighters Party, EFF, that has described Israel's presence in Palestine as colonial domination and apartheid. Although the motion was carried, Parliament itself is divided on the issue. Ahmed Munza Sheikh Imam is a member of the National Freedom Party that also supported the motion. 75 years negotiations have been taking place. Nothing has been achieved. So what negotiations are we talking about? What do you want to negotiate? The only way you can negotiate is by putting pressure on them to come to the negotiating table. That is what we are doing. Pemima Jodina, the chief whip of the ruling ANC in parliament, made it clear that her party wants more than just the suspension of the ties between Israel and South Africa. In the case of Israel, it is their head of state whom we say needs to have an arrest warrant used against him because, as we believe, the evidence required is overwhelming. But the AMC's decision to support the Economic Freedom Fighters EFF motion has angered the South African Jewish Board of Deputies. Mary Gluck is the vice president of the board. The EFF is the party that stated categorically that they would in fact arm Hamas if they were in power. So let's be clear, this vote had nothing to do with peace. And it was confirmed for me when I was watching on television the chanting of from the river to the sea, a clear call for the destruction of the Jewish state. And Stephen Swart from the African Christian Democratic Party also condemned Parliament's decision. I firmly believe that we are losing the opportunity as South Africa to be honest brokers in the situation. Analysts 
differ on the implications of South Africa's decision. Pilani Mtembu at the Institute of Global Dialogue says South Africa will still have a role to play in bringing peace between Israel and Palestine. I think South Africa is definitely going to take this matter much more aggressively within the African Union, within the United Nations, within the BRICS, and all fora that it is participating in. So it's not just a matter of closing uh, embassies. Others say South Africa could have waited for current negotiations that have resulted in an agreement of a four-day ceasefire and release of hostages. The responsibility has now shifted to the Department of International Relations and Cooperation to implement Parliament's decision. Meanwhile, Israel has already recalled its ambassador for consultation and South Africa also recalled its diplomats from Tel Aviv. Tuzo Kumalo reporting. Now, the latest on that story is that the Israel cabinet approved in the early hours of today a deal with Hamas, which would lead to the release of Israeli hostages. And according to Israel, 50 hostages taken by the militant group Hamas during the October 7th terror attacks will be freed, all of them women and children. And in exchange, Hamas said Israel will release 150 Palestinian women and children held in Israeli jails. Now, here at DW Africa Link, we always balance this story. And it's on that very note that Germany's Foreign Minister Anna Baerbach said a ceasefire in the Middle East would prevent Israel from defending itself. At least she was speaking from Germany's point of view. He spoke to exclusively to Deutsche Welle and he defended Germany's refusal to back a ceasefire in Gaza. Instead, Berlin says it begs humanitarian poses that would allow for aid to get into Gaza. She also hit out at criticism of Germany's support for Israel, calling it, in quotes, extremely disturbing. And without much ado, let's bring in this conversation the minister had with Jafal Tok. Uh, that's one of the big talks on DW. And to begin with, why Germany has so far refused to back a ceasefire in Gaza. Take a listen. We have lost a great many lives since Hamas' terror attack on Israel and Israel's resulting war on Hamas. On the Israeli side, according to the Israeli army, 1,200 killed and 240 hostages taken. And in Gaza, according to the health ministry, which belongs to Hamas, 14,000 dead, including children. Nevertheless, Ms. Baybok, you do not support a ceasefire. Why? für einen Waffenstillstand. Warum? Also zunächst einmal, ich glaube niemand. Firstly, I don't believe that anyone sitting here in quiet, secure Berlin can truly imagine the scope of what it all means there on the ground. I spoke with the father of a hostage family with German passports who described how his wife and his two little daughters were abducted and I have two children myself. It's nearly unbearable to think about if it had been your own children who were suddenly attacked on October the 7th and thrown on a truck and then not to hear a word from the children since. And I had the same feeling when I was in Ramallah a week ago. There too I spoke with a man whose wife and only son had lost their lives in Gaza just a couple of days earlier. And the thought of what that means for someone, of having to imagine one's own kids as we keep seeing in pictures, sitting apathetically in the rubble of what was once their home, with their parents buried beneath them. It makes it that much clearer this awful suffering must have an end. 
Every human life has the same value, no matter what passport, what religion, what background. Parents, children, all of us in this world, we mourn the same. Wir alle auf dieser Welt trauern gleich. You often talk of destroying Hamas. Military experts expect that an ongoing ground offensive will create fertile ground for further radicalization. Do you believe that a military operation is the only way to attain security and peace in the region right now? You can't just fight terrorism militarily. The US president made that clear. Don't repeat the mistakes that we as Americans made after September 11. The idea that one can simply fight terrorism militarily, but rather it's about security, it's about people's freedom. And that's why I and Germany, along with other partners, also with Arab countries, are in such intense talks. What could a political situation look like? One that would allow Palestinians in Gaza, but also in the West Bank, to live in safety and freedom in their own Palestinian state, free from terrorism. That was Foreign Minister Anela Boebak speaking to our colleague uh, John Jaffal Tok. And much of this uh, story, you can find it on our page, dw.com. You can also tell us also what you think about it by going to our Facebook page, uh, DW Africa. Josie, let me mm -hmm. first bring in this breaking story coming in uh, right now. It's about malaria. Guess what? The first vaccine has been approved and uh, shipments will go to... Cameroon. I mean, it's a major milestone and it's a story that we've been covering. It's coming from Geneva. The United Nations heralded the forthcoming scale-up of malaria vaccination across Africa after first shipment of doses arrived in Cameroon. That's Some good news there. Some good news for Africa. Yes. Yeah. And of course, you can tell us uh, what you think this will come out. I mean, we need more vaccines. Some countries, including even Ghana, we need these storages here on Africa Link. Mm -hmm. uh, looking forward to this vaccine and even including our own Rwanda. They said we need some of those doses. And to begin with, uh, 1.7 million doses are set for delivery to Burkina Faso, Liberia, Niger, and Leone in the coming weeks. They're starting off with countries that are vulnerable to malaria, according to the World Malaria Organization office at the World Health Organization in Geneva. Thank so, you so much, Isaac, for breaking that news. But uh, mm -hmm. before we go to the second part of the show, I just want to acknowledge some people who are live on our Facebook page, DW Africa, David Chamba. Thank you so much. Monji Rinas, Ranex, Mwaladi, Tamale, Solomon, Ojiaku, Awa, we thank you for tuning into the show. Remember, this is Africa Link. Thanks for staying with us. And in case you're just joining us, this is DW's Africa Link coming to you live from our Bonn studios here in Germany. My name is Josie Mahachi. And with Josie is me, Isaac Mugabe. Join us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, where the show is live. We also appreciate our listeners via our partner stations. And it always gives us so much pleasure here when you really comment on the stories mm -hmm. that you're covering. Now, still to come, antibiotic abuse and self-medication is on the rise in Zambia. There is need to increase antimicrobial resistance awareness, implementation of policies and initiatives surrounding the proper use and access of these antimicrobial agents. 
That story will be back shortly. But for now, we turn to an unusual story in Tanzania. Just you know what? There is a growing number of men who encounter domestic violence at the hands of their spouses or wives. However, mm. they remain hesitant to report for fear of being perceived to be weak, you not know, just in African society. Some it's men, taboo for a man to cry. And some men really quite, cry quietly, if, mm. I, if I may say so. So these men in Tanzania are always f- afraid to speak out for their rights. Now, according to an organization that helps male victims of domestic abuse, so far this year, 870 cases have been reported across 18 regions of mainland Tanzania. Our correspondent, Naomi William, reports from Dar es Salaam. Ernest Komba, the founder of Shua Chand organization that supports men facing domestic abuse from their wives suffered emotional abuse, constant beatings, and often chased away from the main house to sleep outside. And when he couldn't tolerate that anymore, he terminated his marriage and started a new life. The first time my wife abused me, she slapped me so hard that I felt dizzy. It didn't stop there. It became a habit. She again hit me twice with a bottle on the head, and I passed out. Her blows got stronger and she could hit me in the private parts. Frightened, I began to fear for my life, but was afraid to speak out. If I told anyone, who would believe me? And who would even understand? On the outside, she was a kind person. I started to worry that I would lose my life. For Ernesti, intimacy with his wife was out of question. He only enjoying conjugal rights with his wife only once a week. For three years, there wasn't any intimacy with my wife. It was only once a week, so it was like four times a month. This situation negatively impacted me and diminished my worth as a man and as a husband and my rights as a human being. Juma Athmani is also another victim of domestic violence. He suspected that his wife was having an affair with her father-in-law, Juma's father. When he comforted her wife, he was attacked instead. They both attacked me viciously and I lost consciousness. I was so ashamed of what happened. I spent so much time hiding. My friends mocked me, and my wife didn't care. It was so painful and stressful. I had no one to confide in and contemplated suicide. After that incident, Yuma's wife vanished with everything that they possessed. And since then, he has suffered bouts of depression. Akini Anton, a social welfare officer from the Social Welfare College in Dar es Salaam, explains how they are helping men who experience domestic abuse and what the society can do to assist these men. First of all, when survivors of domestic abuse come to our social welfare offices seeking help, it is crucial that we listen to them, counsel them and educate them on their situation. 
This is the first and most vital step towards helping them. Society needs to understand that domestic violence can happen to anyone regardless of gender. Everyone has the right to report instances of violence to police, gender desks and other institutions. We must support survivors and take their claims as seriously rather than mocking, ridiculing or ignoring these men. Thanks, Naomi William, for that report. And straight to our Facebook page, we asked, do you have cases of men being battered by their wives or partners in your country? There's one comment here from Tabo Mutlanya. Nai says, in South Africa, it does happen and men do report such to the police. Well, uh, Potiphar Tembo says, these cases concerning men being beaten, dying quietly or going to report the police. I also said doesn't believe that a man can be beaten by a woman, but indirectly a man wins because often they divorce such an, an abusive wife. Mm. And one from Patrick Gatti says in Liberia, if you try it, eh, you are finished. You're finished means that <laughs> that won't happen. Even at the police station, you'll be laughed at and advised to just let go and be a man. Mm. Quite unfortunate there. It's quite unfortunate, Isaac. yeah. I mean, uh, Munajil Frank says it's worse in Uganda where I'm seven supports women where that can be verified. And then Opio Twin Daniel says, due to men being neglected ever in this world, not only in Tanzania. I mean, he's asking the question where, whether I men free to report such cases in your, in their, in your country. Mm. Keep those comments coming on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now we move to a worrisome story in Zambia. Some health practitioners in the country are concerned about the levels of drug resistance being experienced, which they describe as unprecedented and put down to self-prescription and abuse of antibiotics. Well, the background of it is that there's a huge demand for the government to put up a law that restricts the sale of antibiotics in pharmacies, adding that those needing them should be required to present a prescription. In this report, narrated by Chris Mwakideu, our correspondent, Glenn Mushing, examines this issue from Zambia's capital, Lusaka. And inappropriate use of medicines have progressively turned drug resistance into a massive threat for humankind. That is Zambia's health minister, Sylvia Masebo, when she spoke about how serious antimicrobial resistance had become in Zambia due to antibiotic misuse. Many citizens who experience common illnesses such as headaches or flu generally expect to be prescribed antibiotics by health practitioners such that they find it okay to self-medicate, as Kiembe Ignatius Salachi, an antimicrobial resistance campaigner, observes. There is this idea that antibiotics are a quick fix. People might had a similar illness before and got better using antibiotics, so they figure they will do the same again. Salachi blames it on the lack of strict regulation and awareness, and so does Francis Chisanga, a medical student at the University of Zambia in Lusaka, who is also the institutional coordinator of the Youthful Antimicrobial Resistance Awareness Ambassadors Zambia. There is need to increase antimicrobial resistance awareness, implementation of policies and initiatives surrounding the proper use and access of these antimicrobial agents. Kiembe Ignatius Salachi feels government needs to get tougher on outlets that sell unprescribed drugs. Strengthening regulations to restrict the over-the-counter availability of antibiotics without proper prescription can deter self-medication 
implementing and enforcing strict penalties for pharmacies and vendors selling antibiotics without prescription is also vital. These advocates further call for concerted efforts to address the issue. Thanks, Crispin Makideo, for narrating that story by Glory Moshinge. Africa Link. Sport. That's right. To round up the day, we are taking a step into the world of sport and no other better person to discuss it with than my host partner here, Isaac Mugabe. (laughs) Isaac, I know you are itching to discuss about the AFCON, but what's been happening? I see my country, Zimbabwe, is somewhere below there. I mean, like way below Mm. on the AFCON table. Yes, yes, indeed. Your country, Zimbabwe, is not doing so well in the field of football because currently there's what we can call the World Cup qualifiers and the group that they're in, it's mm. just down there, and uh, the, the the one leading the table is none other than my country, Rwanda. <laughs> and in that group, there are tough, the tough, the, the, the tough teams like Nigeria and South Africa, which we beat yesterday, which Rwanda beat hey, yesterday. We know, Isaac. Yes, two goals nearly. But anyway, it wasn't only South Africa. Ghana also suffered embarrassing defeats mm. in the World Cup qualification. But top contenders like Cameroon, Guinea, Senegal, Zambia also found it tough on the road as they all dropped points. But maybe, maybe who knows? Football has a way. Yeah, Isaac, but mm. I still want to talk about Zimbabwe. Don't you think they tried? I mean, playing against Nigeria they, for, they the, for the Warriors, I think they tried. They, they tried. I mean, playing Super Eagles, the, this is the country that we can say it's the the cradle of football, one of the cradles of football mm. on the continent. And uh, getting away with, uh, with that small win, I mean, they really, really tried. They just have, have to up their game once the qualifiers resume sometime in June. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned something about Ghana. I mean, mm. of course, although they were upset for strong teams like Ghana, Black Stars, I'm talking of uh, mm. what's happening now, South Africa's Bafana, Bafana. Can they redeem themselves in upcoming matches? It all depends on what the coaches or the managers in this case will have up their sleeves. You know, some of the managers tend to keep their star players safe from the first legs to prevent them from having injuries and also to prevent them from having, you know, to be at loggerheads with the team they play for in big big leagues like Europe, like the Bundesliga and so So they always have that ace they keep themselves saying, mm. my star players, I'll keep them in the return legs. Let me see what happens in the first leg. But again, the risk is that you may not come out of a humiliating defeat. Mm-hmm. You might choose to keep your star players you know, for for the future, safe, say for yeah. the, the best for the last, and then they end up not having that chance. Not even of, getting to the end. Like, I can give an example, mm-hmm. like Ghana. It was beaten by Comoros, not the first time. Even the previous Africa Cup of Nations, mm-hmm. Comoros beat a star-studded Ghana and sending it home. I can give another episode. In 2004, mm-hmm. Ghana was eliminated, eliminated from the Africa Cup of Nations by none other than Rwanda. Because why? They benched their star players yeah, only they, to be overly. beaten and then they couldn't <laughs> overcome that defeat. It was too late for them. Okay, let's talk about other football powerhouses like Senegal. Yeah, Senegal. Senegal, of course, without even their star player, Sadio Mane, who's playing alongside Cristiano Ronaldo in Saudi Arabia, were able to have that small win. But Senegal, for, for, for instance, the Lions of Teranga, mm-hmm. they take every match serious. Are you Cisse, the manager? doesn't give chances whether he's playing with the team that is has been dubbed as the weakest he brings on the best the best teams mm. you know he has that philosophy the other bad is 
one that catches the worm. Mm-hmm. What about that unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate worm that woke up early only to be bitten, to be eaten by the early bird? So for him, he prefers to uh, hit the nail, the mm-hmm. iron, while it's still hot. Mm-hmm. That is Aliusisi. And the players, if you're featuring for the Lions of Teranga, you have to mean business. You start dilly-dallying on the pitch because you're playing with the team perceived to be weak. Mm-hmm. And you say the coach won't hesitate to take you off the off the pitch. Okay. Now, before we talk about what's going to happen maybe in the uh, next round of African qualifiers to mm. be played in June next year, what do you foresee happening as the, as we are already like uh, counting down to the CAF in Abidjan, Ivory Coast? Exa- that, that, that's where now the whole mathematics comes in. Exactly. I really want to know because I'm really looking forward to that tournament. A lot of strategy is at play. Mm-hmm. Now is the time when the managers, the technical team, will say, this is a big tournament that we have to look at, we need, and then they start calling on the players from European leagues mm-hmm. to come and feature. But then, also the youngsters at home say, if I played at the qualifiers, why don't why you let me also play continue with the yeah. Cup of Nations? That's mm-hmm. where the conflict comes in. But who has the last word? It's always the manager. But then there are also people complaining that it's always, even in the world of football, that it's who you know. Exactly. That's the unfortunate bit corruption. of it. There's a lot of corruption in who features for the national team. There's a lot of corruption on whose son is he, who knows who, on who knows who until the levels of the minister and the federation. Mm-hmm. That's quite unfortunate. And it's something that, you know, fans should look out always at big tournaments mm. because there's a lot of talent that goes unscouted. And if you're lucky and you you happen to migrate, you know, some youngsters have migrated, even died along in the Mediterranean. I mean, they want Mbappe is a good example. Look Mbappe at what happened with Mbappe's story that he was yes. asked to pay money, but look at where he is today. The father was asked by managers of Indomitable Lions of Cameroon to give them something small for their son to feature and said, I can't pay for talent. My son can feature for any other team, even for France. Now he's a big star. Okay, you see now, so sometimes corruption, not even sometimes, corruption is absolutely bad. Tell us what you think about um, the AFCON that's happening and what are you anticipating as we are counting down to the CAF um, tournament? Yes, and on that very note, we had a lot to talk, to talk about sports, but we have good, all good things have to come to an end. On behalf of the rest of the team and the Africa Link team, my name is Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Josie Mahachi. Until tomorrow, take care. Made for Minds.